Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Hi there. Welcome to Grief to Growth Podcast. Your host is Brian Smith, spiritual seeker, best-selling author, grief survivor, and life coach. Brian believes that the worst tragedies of life provide the greatest opportunity for growth. Brian says he was planted, not buried, and he is here to help you grow where you've been planted by the difficulties in life. In each episode, Brian and his guests will share what has helped them to survive and thrive. It is his sincere hope this episode helps you today. Hey, everybody. This is a special interview with my friend Srini Chandra. Srini and I have been friends for a long time. We had a lot to talk about. This interview went for a couple of hours. I know most people don't like two-hour-long interviews, so I'm going to break this up into at least two parts. Uh, you can break it up as many, many parts as you want to. So this is part one. So go ahead and watch part one. Then after you've watched part one, uh, I'm going to publish part two the next week. If you happen to be listening to this recorded, you can watch part two right afterwards. But we have a very far-ranging discussion uh, discussion about the nature of reality, about science versus uh, religion and philosophy, uh, about materialism, and about a number of other subjects. So I hope you find it as fascinating as I do. Go ahead and watch part one now and come back and watch part two later. Thanks. Hey, everybody. This is Brian Smith back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And today I've got with me my friend Srini Chandra. And I hate to say this, I feel like such an American. I can't even pronounce your last name. I've known you for like nine years. So say your full name for me, Srini. Sure. It's uh, break it into two parts. It's it's not as bad as it looks. <laughs> Chandra is the easy part. Sekharan. Or you can you know think of it as shake and run, shake, run. Uh-huh. It's Chandra, Chandra Sekharan. Okay. And your and your first name is longer than Srini also. What's your first name? My first uh, name, the full first name is Srini Vasan. Yeah. Okay, cool. Srini Vasan. Uh, yeah, I feel like such an American. It's terrible. I, I need to learn how to I don't say your name, but we're going to call you Srini for, for the purpose of the day. That but um, I've been friends with Srini. I was looking it up the other day. I guess it's been like nine years. Um, and we met, Srini wrote an excellent book. I love this book. It's called Three Lives in Search of Bliss. And he sent the book to me to review, and and I did. I'd never heard of Srini, and it's one. It's a short book. I think it's about 150 pages. It's one of the best books I've ever read. I I've read it again over this week. I've read it like three or four times. So I'm going to talk about the book also as we as we have this conversation. But the reason I'm having Srini on today, Srini is one of the wisest people that I know. Uh, he's one of the most compassionate people that I know. We've been friends on Facebook for a long time. He keeps me grounded. Um, he's a very um, well-rounded person. I'm going to let Srini tell a story as to how he got to where he is in terms of uh, of his background. 
But we want to talk about today is the nature of, we were going to tie this nature of belief, but I don't, I think I want to change it. I want to call it the nature of reality because belief is important, but what, what we believe, I think we, we kind of know, we want to help people understand how to get to that point. So um, we're going to break this down in a few parts. I don't know how it's going to go. We've kind of laid it out. First thing we do want to do is introduce you guys to Srini, let Srini tell his story and who he is. And then we're going to talk about like Eastern religion versus Western religion. We're going to go over real quickly uh, Islam and Judaism and Christianity as far as we know it. Uh, and then we're going to talk about, you know, what is spirituality? Uh, how do we know we're being spiritual? What's the nature of truth? Uh, we're going to talk about things like karma and rebirth. Uh, Srini was raised Hindu, so he can shed some light on that for us. Because uh, I think we in the West have a lot of misunderstandings about that. We're going to talk about what is the meaning of death. You know, what is is death re- really a thing? Where do we find common ground in all these things and all these different faith traditions? And then we're going to talk about where we find common ground between faith, as we call it, faith, I put in quotes, and science, uh, and then and the nature of reality. And so that's, that's kind of our uh, very um, ambitious agenda. We'll see how it goes. But Srini, I, I've done a lot of talking. I want to say thank you and welcome to Grief to Growth. Thank you, Brian. I, I want to thank you for this opportunity. I listen to your podcast regularly. Uh, you know, this is... Uh, I'm really honored to be, I think it's great quality stuff, uh, work that you do, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Uh, to tell uh, folks a little bit about myself and not take too much time uh, doing so, uh, I was born in uh, India, in uh, on the southern part of India, on the east coast, uh, in a town called Chennai. It's actually not a town, it's a metropolis, major metropolis, mm-hmm. very large city called Chennai. And uh, as you pointed out, I was born in a Hindu family. Um, my earliest memories are, you know, we had a large extended family growing up among the folks. Um, uh, my memories of my grandparents are, you know, very vivid till this day. I went to school in Chennai, uh, you know, early kindergarten to high school. And uh, I happened to study in, uh, in India. You know, we call them convent schools. They are schools run by Christian missionaries. So uh, a big part of my formative experience was the going through an education system, a school like that. And they were some of the kindest people and I've known. Um, and once I graduated high school, um, I joined college in India and I studied engineering like every good Indian does or tries to do. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then uh, this is, I'm, we are talking late 80s at this point. And at that point, the, the, the thing to do was to seek uh, the land of opportunity, the land of milk and honey, uh, the mm-hmm. United States of America. So it seemed very obvious at that point that I should head to the States. And uh, so I applied for a, uh, admission into Ohio State University. I came to Columbus, Ohio, very proud Buckeye till this day. And uh, you know, uh, got my master's in engineering, worked for a few years, went back to school, uh, you know, don't want to regurgitate my resume, but long story short, I spent um, uh, more than two, 25 years at this point in the technology industry. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been an interesting experience because technology sort of shapes the way you look at life. Uh, a lot of things that we consider impossible become possible. And then you start thinking there are other possibilities to life too. So it sort of spills over into your mm-hmm. personal domain. That's been a good experience. Uh, personal front, married. I have two daughters. Uh, you know, they are grown now, uh, to my regret. Uh, <laughs> both one of them is in college; the other just started her job. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
which you know at some point i guess we will talk about it the when they were born that that was a formative experience for me becoming a dad yeah. the circumstances under which uh, they were born uh, there are some of these events that you know have shaped the way i've looked at life i like to describe myself very simply as a seeker i'm mm-hmm. not anywhere close to being enlightened uh are definitely on the path i can feel it i can feel that what i'm doing is working at some level um you know i've become very conscious of you know what i do and what i say and you know uh, my uh, uh outlook towards life and and it's been an effort and you know, definitely i can claim some credit for the effort but we will see time will tell where this leads me yeah well as i said earlier you you are one of the most grounded people i know and you you actually talk me down a lot of times um so on on facebook so i appreciate that and you know as i I got to know you we last week we kind of got together and we talked a little bit before we did this and I got to know more of your story about your background which I think is is fascinating because as I read read your book Three Lives in Search of Bliss I love how you wove your knowledge of Christianity and Islam and Hinduism all into the same fabric of that book and I and so your your background you know you did go to this Christian school but you were raised in a Hindu family Right. And they never really tried to convert you to Christianity. They just they just taught you about it. So you've mm-hmm. you've got a deep understanding of, of all these faiths and how they they intersect. That's true. Um, That's true. They so, did also. I would say they were gracious enough to accommodate some uh, inconvenient questions. As a ten year old, fifteen year old, as I you know uh, went through Bible studies in school, I would ask some questions, and and uh, I'm happy to say that these they, they were very patient with some of these uh, questions that I and I I I like to think that that of that as a formative experience as well i mean they, mm-hmm. they the, the, the all these seeds i realize in hindsight all these seeds are planted by somebody or the other mm-hmm. whether it's a grandparent or a parent or a friend or a teacher and then they you know they just grow and you know without your knowledge and one fine day and you're like wait a minute this plant was right there in front of me and i you know i haven't noticed it and so it's a beautiful thing and that happens stay with us we'll be right back hey there i'm testing out a new feature i'd love to get your feedback on it it's called fan mail and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast so look for the link that says send me a text you can ask a question for a future podcast you can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want just remember it is one way i can't text you back and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. It is. It is. As we get that perspective, as we get older, we can see and how these seeds are planted. And that's one of the things I try to make people conscious of now, especially people who have children, right. that you're you're planting these seeds, whether you know it or not. And they're going to grow into some sort of tree at some point. Yes. So, um so you had this formative experience of the, the religious background, the training in Christianity, the, the Hindu family, and then you you were telling me your daughters come along, and so tell me tell me how that shaped your life. That's, yes, that I, I believe uh, was uh, in some sense an inflection point in my life. Mm-hmm. We're talking late nineties. Uh, my first daughter was born, uh, and when uh, she was born, she was born two months early. She was a preemie, as we, yes, we they call it. And I remember driving home from work. You know, I was in the supermarket, and my wife called me, and she said, "I think they're having the baby." And I said, "What? And the baby isn't due until two months later." Mm. So the next thing you know, we know we're driving towards the hospital, and three hours later, she was born. And uh, the startling thing about that was, well, you know, I, the first time, Dad, you know, uh, it, it was uh, 
a bit traumatic, to be honest with you, being there and watching the baby be born for a few seconds there. When I saw her, uh, she looked perfectly healthy, uh, fine baby, except she was tiny. I think, you know, she was like half the weight that babies are normally, you know, born at. And, uh, but she looked uh, like a, you know, I I have never, I had not seen a newborn baby before. And uh, at that juncture, to me, she looked fine. And uh, then they took her to the intensive care. And, and, and I remember the words of the nurse uh, when uh, they, they took her off to the intensive care. My wife had, uh, was anxious and I was standing outside in the corridor and the nurse uh, turned to me and says, son, take it one day at a time. And I had no idea what she meant. I thought, what, what is she talking about? Everything looks fine to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently the history of preemies is like, you, you can't tell, you know, it, things can go up and down. And then that, that's, I guess she was trying to be nice and kind and you know, alert me. The, the, the thing about that experience uh, was, you know, at, at, the, at that point I was working in the technology industry. I was running a major product line and I was, you know, I felt like I had, you know, I was in control of my life and things were going great. And, and some, suddenly something like this happens. And I, I, at that moment, I realized, I mean, not in, uh, in that, in that, uh, in that time frame, frame, I realized that we don't really have control over the things that we care about that are truly important to us. I had uh, uh, every bit of control over, you know, how I was going to launch this product, who was going to buy it, what was going to go into it. All these details, you know, it's, it gave me the sense of, you know, power over the world, mm. but then I had no, absolutely no control over the trajectory my daughter's life was going to take. It struck me, uh, uh, you know, it's it, it, like somebody was lowering the boom on me. I remember sitting the, in the parking lot you know, on a call with some of my colleagues and thinking, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. And, and um, it, sparked, uh, uh, it sparked a journey. I, you know, I, I, you know it, it, I started thinking, oh, uh, there, is, there is a lot more to life than you know, what I'm making it out to be. And uh, so it's not like I completely abandoned, you know, my career and, you know, I felt you know, that those are important, mm-hmm. but I felt there's something more here. So it started a journey of just simply knowing what people have said. I felt completely ill-equipped to make up my own, you know, theories. I said, let me start with what, you know, other people have said. Mm-hmm. I read, you know, reread the Bible, which I had studied in high school. I reread some of the scriptures my grandfather had taught me. I, I read the Quran. Uh, I haven't uh, read a whole lot of Judaism, but and I remember speaking to a, a couple of Jewish friends, you know, who you know, talked to me about the religion and what is it, right? What is, what is going on? So that journey started. I think I would say that. And when my second daughter was born, same thing happened. Three years later, she was born two months early. A little, I was a little more prepared. I mean, my wife and I were a little more prepared. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, but, but the whole, the, you know, that that was a. That I would say that was a, a, a good, in hindsight, a good moment in life. Something that could have been uh, not necessarily good. It, you know, it it's interesting well. as as you're telling that. I'm thinking, you know, we have these formative moments in life, and for most of us, it seems like it takes trauma to wake us up. You know, it takes a a, a cancer diagnosis or death or something like that, but it doesn't have to. You know, it can take a moment like a daughter being born. And and my life changed when my daughter was born, you know, just to, to the, kind of echo what you said. You know, I, I remember them giving me this baby to leave the hospital. And I'm like, where's the instruction manual? You know, and I went to put her in the car and I was putting the car seat in backwards because they have to face backwards at first. And, you know, I knew it, but I was just so nervous. And my wife and I get home and we look at her, we're like, they don't just take this baby home. What are we going to do with this baby for the next you know, number, number of years? Right. And for me, I was raised as a Christian. 
And I was raised with this God who was angry and I was told about original sin and I was told about, you know, hell and separation and damnation and all that stuff. And I remember I, I never liked it. I always pushed back against it. It never made any sense to me. But when my daughter was born, I looked at her and I said, you know, they told me that God loves me more than, than I could ever love anybody, even more than I love my daughter. And I said, if that's true, then the God they told me about is a lie. Mm-hmm. That, that God cannot exist because I could never condemn my daughter, you know, not even for a moment, let alone for an eternity. Mm-hmm. So those, those moments, you know, that's something we have in common, that, that thing when we have that baby and we bring him home and we look at them and we know that love, but also the, the, the awesome, uh, just tremendous fear because we know that it's, it's out of our control. Absolutely. Um, that, that child walk around the world, the most important thing to us is the one thing that we have no control over. Mm-hmm. The health of our loved ones, the health of our own selves is uh, pro- possibly the greatest wealth that we can have. Yeah. And we don't have any control over it. And I think that's a very humbling thought. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So that's a little bit about who you and I are. We'll, and we'll, we'll kind of weave that in as we go through it. So let's talk about Eastern wisdom. Um, you, you've got a YouTube channel where you do some basic Eastern wisdom and, and I've been following it and I've loved it and I've learned a lot about it. So let's just kind of lay a foundation. Let's take about 10 minutes or so and go through just a real general outline. Sure. Sounds good. The, you know, uh, uh, I, I had prepared some notes uh, to sort of kick this off and uh, the, there are, I would say five major religions today in the world. And a sixth one that is much smaller, possibly people haven't heard of it. They are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam mm-hmm. on one side. And then we have Buddhism, Hinduism, and there's a third one called Jainism in India. People outside of India may or may not have heard of it, but it's very much a, uh, uh, an ancient faith practiced very diligently by a, a large number of people. Uh, when we look at this, and there are several other faiths, I don't mean to discount any of them, but these right. are what I would consider like the, the big uh, religions of the world. Uh, there are, you know, uh, creeds and beliefs in China, which, you know, uh, which aren't quite religious in, in nature. So we will leave those aside for the moment. Mm-hmm. If you look at these six, uh, the pattern here is like, you know, you see two broad highways in religion. And these are, you know, when we look at Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, they, they, uh, they were born in the Middle East. And the other three were born in India. And so there was this group of people a few thousand years back, they started you know, some things. And it's interesting to see the paths they took. So I look at it as two broad highways in religion. The first highway is uh, a God-oriented approach. And the, the people in the Middle East, you know, took that approach. And the, the, the most dominant question for them was, there is a God, there is a higher being, and you know, what is this God? What is the nature of this God? And how do I reach this God? I mean, those were the questions. It's not to say that they were not introspective, but they, they spent a large amount of their time figuring these questions out. Mm. And you know, from, from these questions came you know, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. I you know, look at them as very God-centric uh, uh, faiths. On the East, at roughly around the same time, we are talking about 500, 600 BC and Judaism, you know, some of the uh, parts of the Old Testament are written. Uh, Judaism is happening in the Middle East. Roughly around the same time, you have the, the philosophers in India. The Buddha shows up around 600 BC um, to give, give folks a rough sense of the time frame. Mm-hmm. Around this time, you know, there's a completely different you know, attitude in, uh, in India. 
the attitude is yes there must there no there is also this belief in god in the in the land at the moment but the philosophers you know say wait there is something called a god i can sort of sense it but i have no definitive proof for such a being mm-hmm. and i'm finding it really hard to discover this being i don't see any evidence of you know that person or thing in this mm-hmm. world and they said the only thing i know for a fact is that i exist and you know i have this being and i exist and i you know there is something i'm doing and there is some experience that i'm having let me explore this experience so this i call the self um, oriented approach the the you know uh, the the sort of the examination of the self and when we look at buddhism uh, the buddha uh, or the jainism it was founded by a a sage called mahavira uh, you know people in india are familiar with uh, mahavira so these two uh, folks uh, they were uh, introspective philosophers so they said uh, who am i that was the question they asked you know am i the mind am i the body and you know quickly they started eliminating possibilities and they came to a certain truth about the nature of the self that the self does not exist it's a, it's a big statement to make and so those are the two religions that uh, you know focused on the self oriented approach and they largely discounted god in the scheme of things they said go on this path see where it takes you you will get all the answers and then on the other side you had folks saying you know just believe in god you will find all the answers and both of them were right uh, and then you have um, uh, hinduism which is the granddaddy of them all in at least in india mm-hmm. and the hindu philosophers uh, said and asked the same questions Uh, i think what is unique about hinduism is it has theistic traditions there is a very strong belief in god like uh, monotheism like judaism and you know uh, christianity and islam mm-hmm. there is also a strong streak of uh, inner exploration leading to what i would you know, what we call monism or non dualism there is this formless uh, indescribable entity being and that is described as god yeah, there's a, there's a parallel stream of thought so hinduism is unique in the way it sort of marries the ideas of a uh, uh, a material you know describable tangible god you know god looks like us like you know the god has a face and a you know body and legs this this that's the one description of god and there is this other part that says the god is simply an indescribable you know being and i the language is you know strikingly similar mm-hmm. uh, when you compare now some of the descriptions of god in judaism uh in islam with some of the language in the ancient indian literature about this formless god uh you can see that you now they, they seem to have had similar experiences in this in their in their explorations so that is you know to give a context of how these are set up um mm-hmm. if you look specifically at buddhism i would i think you know buddhism and hinduism are possibly the the most influential uh, uh streams of thought uh today mm-hmm. and so when you look at buddha right well, i think it's nice to understand the context in which buddha came the buddha comes into india at a time when there are two extremely strong and competing forces in play one is uh, this materialistic lifestyle believe it or not we're talking 600 bc they were the strong materialist uh, group and these folks said you guys are over analyzing things there is nothing to it when we die the lights go out and that's all there is to it somehow somewhere life started and the only goal of life is the pursuit of pleasure they were hedonists and so there was this thing and there were a lot of takers as you can understand for that uh, moment uh, at that time 
and india was a prosperous country at that time so there's all these things sort of play into play into it and then on the other side you have these philosophers in india who said the body and the mind are not uh, the ultimate you know realities there's something beyond and to prove that they said just subjected the body to the extreme and severe you know hardships so you would have these guys going off into mountains sitting in caves and you know starving themselves and uh, so these were the two options and the story of how buddha got started on his journey i think everybody knows he's born a prince and you know he looks around and he sees suffering and he says i i i need to find out what's going on and he leaves his house and he goes and he does not you know like the materialist approach he's very clearly because that's the world he comes from mm-hmm. he said that's not it um, and i'm going to go with the 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 yogis as we call them the guys who are in the caves and so he follows him around and subjects himself with the greatest you know uh, austerity there is a description of buddha where his stomach is so thin that you can see his spine through mm. you know, from its front and then he you know says no this is not it either you know this is uh, i i he, it does not take him anywhere yeah so he chooses this thing called the middle path yeah but so he said it can't be that it can't be this it's got to be something moderate the interesting thing about buddhism is it's a very serious religion um i in my opinion i think it possibly the most serious one out of them all Mm-hmm. uh the middle path of buddha is not quite moderate it's quite severe <laughs> in, yeah. in 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 modern context uh, back then probably it was the middle path so the buddha uh, looks at everything he says you know there are these people who talk about god and then you know yeah. and then he you know comes up with this middle path where he simply describes the world as a interconnected network of realities now there is this there is something called matter and there is something called consciousness and these two things are reacting inter inter you know uh, connected mm-hmm. and they lead to something called this creation right and he said there is not that is all there is to it there is nothing more mm-hmm. and so he prescribes you know and i think the most profound observation of buddha the reason i say buddhism is very serious is it's the first statement that the buddha makes uh, after he comes out of his enlightenment enlightened state and in the state of meditation the first lecture that he gives to his uh, you know one small group of people who gather around him is everything is suffering all is suffering he says this world fundamentally starts from a place of suffering it's a strong statement to make and you have to buy into that uh, yeah. to be a practicing good buddhist and and then it gets a lot better from there it mm-hmm. seems dark and gloomy but it's actually a religion of great joy mm-hmm. uh, there is a story of the buddha uh, when he you know uh, uh, got out of his trance and he decided to get some water to drink uh, because his throat was parched so he's walking through this field and he there's a little boy who's working in the field who sees the buddha and he turns to the buddha gives him some water and he says what are you many people in this world are asked who are you the buddha is you know one of the few people who is asked what are you because he was that's this shining resplendent being you know it is pure happiness so it is a religion of great uh, happiness it's it's got a very positive message that suffering actually can be overcome that is the teaching of the buddha and there is a lot of these techniques that he taught to folks and but it's not for the faint of heart i, I think in my opinion right yeah and then you have hinduism the vedanta uh, i think the, the difference between the the philosophy of hinduism and buddhism is not much the buddha said there is no ultimate reality mm-hmm. there is no such thing as a self we come and we go and we you know we we are destined to live in these cycles of life uh, uh growing old dying and then being reborn um so you know how do we get out of this cycle and he prescribed certain formulas 
And he said that 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 is that is that is what the one's goal must be to attain this state of happiness. The Hindus went a little further. They said something cannot come out of nothing. Clearly, there is a world around me, right? You may describe it as false or illusory, but it's there. So, what is it that is causing that? Right. And they said the key to that is consciousness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can talk more about that. But um, uh, so they, they said that is the ultimate reality. Yeah, uh, there is the God. There is this being, and we call it God today. They called it Brahman in, in back in the day in Sanskrit. And this being is uh, the nature of this being is uh, consciousness, and consciousness is something that activates this world. I, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions um, as you're going through that. One is um, the Buddha. The Buddha was Hindu, right? Was it? Yes. So Hindu is a predate. So I kind of think of Buddha almost as like Jesus coming into Judaism. And I don't think he meant to create a religion. He just said, this is the way I see things. And then there was a branch mm-hmm. that, that, so that so I wanted to make sure I understood that history. The other thing is you, you I, mentioned, can I, can I comment on that for a, sure, a bit? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so the, the, it's a, it's an, it's a, it's an excellent observation that he made. The Buddha was born a Hindu mm-hmm. and uh, he was born a prince. You know, he, you know, he was well off when he was born, uh, you know, a royal prince. Mm-hmm. So then he comes out and his, his, his entire only goal in, uh, you know, uh, of his, uh, you know, form, uh, like exploratory years are this suffering. He understands, you know, Buddha has spoken extensively about the nature of suffering. And so he's, how do I get rid of this for myself? You know, if I can do this for myself, maybe I can help others. Uh, so Buddha comes and directly challenges Hinduism. Now, Hinduism at, this, at that point is a ritualistic religion. They've got this idea of Atman or this eternal self. Mm-hmm. And they have Brahman and like their godhood. And, you know, there's these other gods that they worshipped. And Buddha comes and says, none of that is true. He rejected all of them. And to their credit, the people of the day, you know, the culturally, it was such that, you know, people, when they saw good ideas at that time, they simply took them up. They saw the, you know, when they saw the idea was superior, the, it was, the, it was the, the culture at that time. To simply take the better idea, and all the older faiths would simply, you know, reconfigure themselves to be compatible with the yeah. new one. Yeah, and that is a beautiful thing because the, the the contrast between Buddha and Jesus Christ is, you know, you know, is kind of there is some there is something there when you mm-hmm. look at that. That Jesus Christ did the same thing. He came and yeah. directly challenged Judaism, and he was uh, crucified for yeah. his uh, troubles. So I think there's a lesson for us in the modern yeah, world. I, I, you know, th- that uh, I'm not necessarily implying anything negative about you know Judaism, but it was the culture of the day, and there is a lesson there that mm-hmm. that you know when good ideas come along, it uh, you know works out well for us to consider them and actually adapt ourselves. Right. We'll get back to grief to growth in just a few seconds. Did you know that Brian is an author and a life coach? If you're grieving or know someone who is grieving, his book Grief to Growth is a best-selling, easy-to-read book. That might help you or someone you know. People work with Brian as a life coach to break through barriers and live their best lives. You can find out more about Brian and what he offers at www.grieftogrowth.com, www.grief2growth.com, or text GROWTH, G-R-O-W-T-H, to 31996. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash grief to growth, www.patreon.com slash G-R-I-E-F, the number two, G-R-O-W-T-H, to make a financial contribution. And now, back to grief to growth. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
Hi there. I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe the NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. You know, and if, if, if it's a bad idea, we have nothing to worry about because bad ideas we've seen in history just go away. Mm-hmm. Good ideas will never die, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's something that we can take comfort from. I love that. I love that observation. The other question I went ahead for you about um, Hinduism, I studied it a little bit. And um, so Brahman, is, should we consider Brahman a being or I, I view Brahman as almost just a, a potential or, or what things come out of. But do the Hindus view him as a being? No. Okay. That's Brahman is uh, not even a concept. So the the the... the the, the literature says Brahman uh, is something that cannot be described. Right. Lang- if, it's a, if there is something that can be described by language, by definition, it can be objectified. I call a flower a flower because there is something, an object. I'm a subject. I'm an observer. I can mm-hmm. see something. Mm-hmm. And so Brahman does not fall into any of those categories. It does, you know, Brahman does not have a name or a form. Okay. So the, the easiest way to, I guess, understand Brahman is like, you know, we have this uh, concept of fields. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you said. Right. So uh, in quantum mechanics, you have this field and, you know, something comes out of this field, a particle, like an mm-hmm. electron. Right. Mm-hmm. So Brahman is this field and the attributes of the Brahman are no attributes. As in, if you take everything in the world and put it all in one place, you know, the good is going to mix with the bad and there's going to be, what do you call, call something that is perfectly good and perfectly bad? And, you know, you meld them, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. They just negate each other, right? Mm-hmm. So the, all the opposites, when they come together, there is nothing in, in, the, in, in some sense, like in terms of attributes. Mm-hmm. But there is something that one thing, so the Hindus call it, there is this one thing, it's a substratum. It is the ground on which reality exists. Yes. So, yes. so Brahman is a thing or a field of possibilities. You know, they liken it to an ocean. Yeah. There are waves on this ocean. Uh, so the, the nature of this Brahman are three, three attributes. One is existence. So Brahman does not exist. Brahman right. is existence itself. Yes. Uh, you know, Brahman is not conscious. Brahman is consciousness itself. So maybe we can look at it as, it, as a field with you know, some properties. Yeah. And I even th- that does the whole thing disservice, to be honest. I, I think it's such a brilliant observation that when you think about how, how ancient that is, uh, yes. and there's a, there's a Christian theologian, Paul Tillich, that called um, God the, the ground of all being. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and even science is kind of get we're kind of getting ahead. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit right here and talk about science, but science is starting to understand that there was this potential. I mean, one time we were told there was a singularity that everything came out of, which makes no sense because mm-hmm. where the singularity came from, come from, but there's this potential. And so as I was, as I was looking at that and I watched this beginning thing on, on Hinduism, I'm like, these guys knew this a long time ago, you know, a it's, very, it's, very it's, long time ago. It's mind blowing. Yeah. You're talking several thousands of years uh, old, you know, ideas here. 
And some of these ideas are 10,000 years old because some mm-hmm. of the Hindu scriptures are, you know, they're passed on verbally. The written records are about three, 4,000 years old. Mm-hmm. And they were passed on for, you know, several thousand years uh, by word of mouth. And these were like cow herds or, you know, uh, they were like wandering around on the mountains of, uh, uh, in Central Asia. Mm-hmm. And they found their way into India. And, uh, and it's, 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 it's mind-blowing to see yeah. that, that uh, such an idea came about. Yeah, and and the other thing, and I want to make sure that I've got this correct because I, like I said, I don't know a lot about this, so it's good to to ask you because my understanding is Brahman, this this potential, this field, whatever, that's also Atman, that's 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 all inside of all of us. So this idea that we and God are are one and are the same uh, is again, that's a new concept for me, but that's something that Hindus have known for yes. forever. Yes. So, yes. So, the, this comes from a school of philosophy in Hinduism called Vedanta. Mm-hmm. And that is what my YouTube channel is about. And mm-hmm. uh, I feel like there are some very exhilarating truths there. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's going to do for people practically. I don't think it's going to make somebody a better physicist or an engineer or marketing or, you know, whatever person. But there is some very, you know, goodness that comes out of uh, sort of seeing the world a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that's what Vedanta does. And what the central teaching of Vedanta is that our true self is divine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The self is the word used is Atman. Mm-hmm. And divine part is Brahman. Atman equals Brahman is the equation in Vedanta. Yeah. And why is it so? It's a, there's a long explanation for it. We can, if you have time, we can get into it. But the, it essentially arises from saying that as beings, we experience this world only in our consciousness. That is the only reality that we have, mm-hmm. uh, that we know of. Which is to say, none of us have actually stepped into the world and verified it. Uh, in I, when I see a flower, the flower doesn't physically enter my eye, or mm-hmm. there is no, phys- you know, there is no merger of you know, physical entities here. Mm-hmm. I see something, and it creates an experience in my brain. Uh, we think it's the brain. And and then it's, it's in our consciousness. And so what is it that creates this experience is the question they, they asked. And they said, it's consciousness. And the, the way they categorized it in terms of the hierarchy, they said consciousness is the root. Everything else is an experience. Even your brain, the, the, your, your perception that you have a brain is an experience. So, you know, so it's a very deep uh, philosophy. So they said at the root of it is the consciousness that mm-hmm. in, in your you know, personal, whatever it's causing your personal subjective experience, that is Atman. And where does this consciousness come from? It comes from this Brahman, which is the source of all consciousness. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of the punchline is it's all the same. Yeah. You and me and like, you know, everything else, like, you know, it's all being animated by the same, you know, force or energy or whatever the word that we want to call it. Yeah, there's a guy, and I think you know Bernardo Castro, who who is a philosopher and a computer scientist. Brilliant, brilliant man. I mean, this guy's got PhDs in computer science and and philosophy. But um, so he's got this idea of idealism, and so I you know I was reading his books and studied that. And I interviewed him. I'm like, this is Hinduism. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is, the, and so the way he describes it is, and he has several metaphors, but one is like we're like ripples, you know, in a stream. And so when the, when, a, when a stream forms a whirlpool, when a stream forms a whirlpool, that's kind of how we are. But we're still part of the stream. We can't be separated from it. We just have this self-reflective thing where we feel like we're separate. And I was so you were saying, I don't know how this really impact people practically. I was talking with someone yesterday. This is the way I look at people now. And this person was saying, 
I feel separated from God. They've, they've had a tragedy in their life. And I said, I feel separate. I feel, I feel disconnected. And I said, you feel disconnected. I understand that. That's that feeling is, is your real feelings are always real, but you're not because you can't be. Cause I look at, I look at you and I look at her and I see God, I see. And I'm like, and it's a blasphemous thing in Christianity to say that I'm God. Yes. But in Hinduism, it's, it's a, it's just reality. It is reality. So Hinduism, uh, yes, it, uh, it is not at all blasphemous to say that I am God in Hinduism, and it is uh, it is not considered to be an inferior way of the thinking to say that there is a God that is separate from me either. Mm-hmm. We are fine with everything, mm-hmm. and there is uh, there is this notion. So we are sort of getting into this nature of truth part mm-hmm. that we want to talk about. Yeah. So there is there is there is this notion of truth in uh, Eastern wisdom. I would you know, attribute it all of the Eastern religions. And I, I think we find that in the in the in the Middle Eastern religions too, but they are suppressed. That's all. I think yeah. they have been said. They have all been said by all people. Yes. It's just that what we you know gave play to over the mm-hmm. years. Uh, the 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 notion of truth is that uh, we progress from one truth to another, and they are all true, even if they conflict with one another. It's a it's a it's sort of what Einstein said. Einstein said, you know, genius is the ability to hold two conflicting beliefs yeah. in one's mind at the same yeah. time, right? Yeah. So it's very hard for us to wrap our minds around it, but that, that's what they said. So they said, there is this truth. You believe in it today and tomorrow you will discover another truth and that mm-hmm. truth will conflict with this and both are true. But the, the moment you see a higher truth, the lower truth sort of dies. Yeah. But it's yeah. still true for the other person. Yeah, they're kind of uh, nested within each other. Yeah, right, right. So the the then the, then the journey becomes like the pursuit of the highest truth, and mm-hmm. the highest truth is that of the Brahman, according to the Hindu philosophy. Mm-hmm. So then we have these lower truths, right? Uh, karma, for example, is mm-hmm. a is a good example. So we have all these truths that we do in order to transact and engage with the world. Yeah. We call them morals. Yeah. Right. And they are in the context of space and time. You know, I'm in uh, California and there is a certain truth. And there is, you know, I'm in Ohio. Maybe there's a different truth. I'm in India, uh, you know, Africa. Everybody, you know, there's a context to truth. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're all true. Yeah. That is the, 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 the thing. So they, they describe them as sort of like steps on the ladder. Yeah. You climb up the ladder. Who's going to, you know, who's going to say that the lowest step of the ladder is uh, less important than the highest step? There is no such thing. Right. You cannot get to the you know the next step without the one before it. Yeah. So beautiful. would anybody want to have a ladder with just the top step? No, right. right. And they're all equal. So there's I think the the attitude of looking at uh, one as inferior or superior uh, is you know it's not it doesn't work because they're yeah. all needed, right, for us to get somewhere. Yeah, and, and you know and it's interesting. So let's um, let's just step back a little bit because we we got really deep in the Eastern stuff because I love it. But let's we're, we're going to cover Judaism and Christianity and, and Islam just real quickly. Yes. So my background is Christianity, and the thing about all of these faiths, probably even Hinduism and Buddhism, they're different branches. So we're we're doing real high general overview. So if somebody mm-hmm. says, "Well, that's not the way I was taught it," that's that's fine because there there's several thousand literally Christian uh, denominations. But from, you know, from a high level point of view, you know, we have Judaism, the, the Abraham, Abrahamic faiths, right? They all came from the same thing. They're, they're all based on the Jewish, when the Jewish people be, became a people and Abraham, and then the, the what we call the Old Testament as Christians, which is offensive, it's Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures that are part of the part of our Bible, then we get the New Testament. And then you've got Islam that came and built even on that. 
And they're all based on this idea that they looked at the people around them and they said, we're not going to be like them. These people are pagans. They have multiple gods. We're going to worship the one God. And therefore, there are no other gods. You know, don't have any other gods before me. This God we see develop from a angry, tribal, warlike God in the in Hebrew scriptures to Jesus comes along and gives us another version of God. And and Muhammad comes along and gives us even a, a little bit maybe more enlightened version of God. And I know that hurts some people's Western ears to think that Islam might be more developed than Christianity, but it did come later and people are evolving. Mm-hmm. And and there are some beautiful, beautiful aspects of Islam, which we can maybe talk about a little bit. But um, as you said at the beginning, you know, our our faiths are more like focused on God and and the tribe. You know, how do I fit into the tribe? Not so much reflective of internally. And as a, as a young boy, when I was taught about the Eastern religions, I was taught, and we're all taught, you know, stereotypes about other religions because they're trying to indoctrinate against it. So Buddhism is all navel gazing. It's all about yourself. It's all about, it's, it's a very selfish religion. It's not about giving back to the world. Uh, it's about improving yourself and trying to escape, you know, the world. So that's, that's kind of the, the thing that we were given because we're taught everybody around you is more important than you are. I mean, this is as I taught in Sunday school, there was an acronym they told us, Jesus, others, and you. Mm-hmm. You serve Jesus first, then you serve others. And then mm-hmm. maybe if there's anything left over, you take care of yourself. Okay. So that's just my real quick overview. So uh, what are your thoughts on on, on the, those three faiths? I, I, the, the way I see it is there, there are uh, pros and cons. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you take the God-centric approach, uh, which is what Christianity and Judaism and Islam do. Uh, personally speaking, uh, the biggest challenge I have, and I think most people have, is uh, we find it very hard to believe. It's not easy to believe in God. Uh, we like to think we believe in God. You know, we pray, we chant. Uh, you know, but there is this question in the back of my mind. You know, is this you know really true, right? Mm-hmm. And we we, can, we just can't seem to get rid of it. Uh, you know, most of us might spend the entire lifetime not get, being able to get rid of that doubt. Mm-hmm. It is not a, a lack of desire. It is it there. It is there. Uh, it is you know, sometimes it's due to the nature of our being. But there are some people who are very naturally uh, inclined to do that, and they do that effortlessly. They do. I've seen people. You know, my parents are a good example of that. My wife is a good example. Mm-hmm. They effortlessly believe in God and gives them great peace. And you know, so some of us are, don't have that capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the and the beauty of the God approach is it's very simple. You don't need to you know learn uh, complicated stuff. You don't need philosophy. It's pure intent, belief in God, and it will take you to a state of peace. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's the beauty of the approach. The the self oriented approach is it looks easier, but it's you know it's equally hard because it requires a lot of discipline. You have to learn. You have to have a teachers. You know they have to teach you stuff. You have to respect the teachers, and then you have to learn what they have told you, and you have to practice them. It's a it's a long process. Mm-hmm. It's challenging, but the the beauty of that approach is you don't have to believe in anything when you start, mm-hmm. right? So I think the I, I would say in te- if, I, if I compare the world religions, it is they are all there depending on what kind of a, a person we are. I, if we sort of understand, okay, this works for me or that doesn't work for me, it mm-hmm. becomes a little easier for us. You know, we don't have to necessarily all believe in God to start with. Right. And, for, and those who believe in God are not crazy people. Uh, you know, so the, the, I think the, the understanding of that when it comes and then it becomes about what works for me. 
So I think that that's the way I see it. I think there are these paths. And, yeah. Uh, and then you might jump from one to the other because so as you become a little more capable of doing certain things, I find myself, you know, uh, uh, practicing faith a lot these days. Mm-hmm. It's just somehow I seem to have acquired some muscle and capacity to, to understand this being called God. And it gives me great happiness. Uh, to, I mean, there's no name or, you know, anything I attach to this thing, but there's the idea of divinity it gives me great happiness. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think that's um yeah, that's that's great. I think it's a really good overview and I think you're right there's there's beauty in in both and they can both be true. You know, it, there's there's so many paradoxes in our world in our in our universe. And and we're very much again western philosophy science has kind of taught us this. It's either or. You know, one is right, the other is wrong. But, you know, it's interesting because we discovered like the nature of light for example, is light a particle or a wave? Yes. You know, it's both. And it depends on how you look at it. So that's a, that's a concrete example of something in our world. And we would, we, so when we say, well, it's gotta be, there is a God or there's not a God, you know, it's, it's one or the other. Well, no, it kind of depends on how you look at it. And I was, you know, I was talking with the client yesterday and she said, one of the things I want you to help me do is figure out like who my God is now. And I'm like, that could take the rest of our lives because I don't know, you know, right. when people say to me, do you believe in God? I'm like, especially with atheists, I'm like, well, yes and no. Which God, do you, you know, which God are you talking about? Oh, I'm talking about the big white guy on the throne that judges us and and, and roll, controls the world like a puppet master. I'm like, no, I don't I don't believe in that God. Right. But do I believe in, in divinity? Do I believe in consciousness? Do I believe in Brahman? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, how could you not? How could you be here if you don't? Yes. But it's it's a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, you know that not there are not a lot of takers for Brahman either. There are a lot of takers for a god who, uh, which is a, a tangible uh, god, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, somebody who created this world and uh, with some purpose and intent and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 way I sort of uh, 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 I sort of understood it is. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've seen questions on you know, Reddit or like even on my YouTube channel, like, you know, how do I become a Hindu? Mm-hmm. And usually it's obviously not a Hindu who's asking this question. It's a, it's a Christian or you know, somebody else. Right. And my belief on that, and I don't, I haven't expressed it publicly. Uh, you know, my belief on that is you don't have to, uh, you know, you're born in a certain faith, like you know, mm-hmm. you're a Christian or a Muslim or you know, Hindu or whatever. And you actually have the advantage of having sort of grown in a certain uh, mm-hmm. culture double down on it it's, you know be a very sincere christian uh meaning like you don't have to listen to what the other christians are telling you you figure it out for yourself if you double it down on it and you become a very good christian it will take you to wherever it will take you it'll either take you to the buddha it might leave you with jesus it might you know take you to the brahman whatever it is let the journey you know be but yeah. uh, you know we have to have a starting point and uh, practically speaking the best starting point may be the one we are most familiar with and all these truths are valid. So there's no need to, you know, and if once we evolve and we see something that is better, you can marry all of these together. So, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting as you say that because um, there was a time I thought about converting to Judaism because I, I, again, I was raised in the church and I'm like, this makes more sense to me. So I, I was thinking about converting. The thing about what you just said is like what a rabbi will tell you if you go to him and say you want to convert, they'll say, don't. They will talk you out of it. They'll say, do not convert to Judaism. You don't need to. The thing about one of the things about the Christian faith, again, the particular sect that I was growing up in, is we had to bring people in because you had to be a Christian to be saved. But with a a faith like Hinduism or Judaism, where you don't have that that requirement, you're like just stay on the path you're on. And 
for myself, I didn't intentionally ever leave Christianity, but I just kept getting so far away from what I was taught that I don't, I don't use that label anymore. And one of the earliest things for me just, just kind of came to me, just, I don't know, uh, kind of intuitively, I guess, was when I die and go to heaven, I don't think I'm going to see God. Mm-hmm. And we had this image of there's going to be a guy on the throne. I'm like, I don't, I don't think there is a guy on the throne. I don't think that I don't, it's just to me. So when I heard about the idea of a Brahman, it mm-hmm. was like, that makes more sense to me. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a being mm-hmm. to be seen. There's no ultimate being. There's not a throne room where God sits. That's just, right. yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I, for, to me, Brahman makes complete sense mm-hmm. personally, right? When I see somebody worshiping Jesus Christ or Krishna or uh, Allah, uh, I, the way I see it is, it, it, you know, all of us need some sort of a uh, ritual or a yeah. discipline or mm-hmm. some mechanism mm-hmm. to, to, to sort of assure us that we are on the path. And if we, at the moment, we feel like we don't need it and we are still somehow this, able to maintain uh, a certain way of life, then we are good. Yeah. Until then, you know, I think it, these are not necessarily, you know, bad things. Like, no, I, not I, at all. These are low, lower truths, higher truths, whatever you want to call them. They're different mm-hmm. types of truth. And it's, you know, it's part of, it's one of the steps, the ladder. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I agree with you um, that uh, there are all these ideas of God. And, you know, I think we, the practical advice would be pick the one that appeals the most to you. Yeah. And just be very sincere about it. It's very hard to be sincere. I mean, I'm speaking from personal experience. I can mm-hmm. talk a number of things. Push comes to shove. How does it show up in my life? Yeah. That is the that is the thing. Belief has to convert into practice. And that is if we focus on that part, the practice part, even if it's a uh, it's a lower belief or a wrong belief or whatever it is, it will lead to good uh, take us to a good place. Yeah, so just the discipline will force us in the right direction. I think we have to trust that process. And if we trust the process, I think we will be okay. That's that's sort of what I, in my opinion here. Yeah. No, I think I, you know, I, I agree with you. And I don't, and it, and it's interesting as I, you know, as we talked earlier about how our lives, we, we have these formative things that come in our lives and then we, and then we see a higher truth or a different truth that's say, right. um, and, you know, it could blow our minds. I, I was, I remember very vividly, I was, I was a young earth Christian. I believe that the earth was five or 6,000 years old. And I'm, I'm a scientist, but, and I, and I ran into these guys, Ken Ham, uh, um, and I can't remember the other guy's name, but the young earth guys that did the creation museum. that's not too far from here in Kentucky. And they were explaining how the earth is only 6,000 years old. So I bought into the whole thing and I'm out there preaching this whole thing. And then one day I read a book that explained how the book of Genesis was really talking more, more like epochs or ages, not days and how the earth was formed and i remember looking up from that book and the world just looked different to me everything mm-hmm. was just like different and and mm-hmm. god just became so much bigger because i'm like god didn't create the earth in six days that's a magic trick god created the earth in billions of years that's mm-hmm. patience that's mm-hmm. that shows how how large you know how big god is now how patient and timeless so the earth became actually even more magical to me mm-hmm. when i when i embraced that truth mm-hmm. but i can still read the book of genesis and say from a myth mythological level, there's a lot of wisdom in the book of Genesis when we can mm-hmm. start to learn to read it that way. Mm-hmm. I agree. And and conversely, I would I would take issue with the atheists. You know, when I look at militant atheists like uh, Richard Dawkins mm-hmm. or Christopher Hitchens, I used to, you know, uh, be a very avid uh, consumer of what they, I was mm-hmm. very interested because these guys are, you know, smart people. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they cannot be ignored. 
And I think the, the biggest, uh, I find the biggest issue I had with, uh, I, and I actually was a practicing atheist for some time. I tried that too. Hmm. Um, the, the issue I had with the whole theory of uh, atheism and the coming out of the scientific context is it takes a very small data point, which is life on earth. Life on earth uh, came about accidentally. It's the basis of evolutionary biology. Mm-hmm. And then it led one thing led to another. And based on that, it negates uh, everything else, right? like, such, such as the existence of God. You know, I might sound like I'm speaking like a, you know, a revisionist Christian here, like, you know, defending the Christians here, but I'm not. But I think there, I, there is something to be said for a, you know, a, a model in which something can happen locally in a certain way, mm-hmm. which is all part of a grander, you know, uh, creation, right? So it doesn't, in my mind, it doesn't necessarily disprove uh, uh, God. Yeah, and in fact, in, in this hierarchy of beliefs, I think that is literally the first step. I think, uh, with the, in some sense, maybe the, perhaps the lowest uh, truth in, in some sense, um, mm-hmm. which is a lack of belief in God. It is it's sort of natural to sort of be there, but I think the moment you uh, we get into uh, uh, some, uh, this is I see, I've seen this in Hindu scriptures. It says, "A man who worships a rock under a tree." has moved one tiny step ahead of the man who doesn't believe in anything at all. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's some profundity there and, uh, you know, something to think about. I think, I think there is, but you know, what's interesting, and we're going to talk about science and materialism in a, in a little while, but th- throughout man's history, we've always had a belief of, in the divine. Mm-hmm. It, it's the, the idea of materialism, materialism, the idea of atheism, materialistic atheism is a new idea. I mean, it's come about in the last couple hundred years. And I look at it as kind of like the fall of man. We became so proud. We became so enamored with ourselves and what we could discover that we said, we don't, we don't need God anymore. Mm-hmm. We can figure this all out on our own. And, it's, and, it, and I think that was one of the things that led to our fall. Right. The, the scientific process itself is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and as you said, I mean, you're an engineer. Mm-hmm. We've, we've created amazing things with science. We've made our lives so much better with science. Um, but that whole thing started because people believed that there was a God who created an orderly universe that, and we could discover God through studying his creation. Mm-hmm. That's where science actually came from. Right. Yes. Yes. So, yes. Uh, yeah, it, the, the way I look at science, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty modern construct, uh, mm-hmm. at least in its current form, right? The mm-hmm. whole idea of what does science do? Science studies the world. Uh, the goal of science is to study the world in a very objective fashion, mm-hmm. impersonal objective fashion. They are in the business of collecting facts. And, you know, they, they conduct a number of experiments. And if they see a pattern as the experiment gives the same result again and again and again, it becomes a fact. And that is in the context of the time frames that we have. We live for 70 years or 100 years or whatever it is that you know, we live as human beings. In this time frame, we see something repeat again and again, it becomes a fact. Mm-hmm. Something could be a fact and repeat once in every thousand years. We're just not around to see it. It's a possibility. Right. 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 It, 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 so, but anyway, science defines itself in a certain way. Uh, and it is, I think, designed to be very practical mm-hmm. and you know, convenient for us. But it is in the, in the business of studying impersonal, objective reality. Right. And it has also largely been in the business of studying the world, not ourselves. Right. Uh, right. Know, we make observations of the world. And then uh, that is the nature of science. And it's a beautiful thing because it has life, made life so much convenient for us. But I describe science as uh, promissory materialism. Mm. Science does not give us all, all the answers today. How did this whole thing start? Science will say, give me another hundred years and I'll tell you. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, why is uh, why am I conscious? Give me another, you know, fifty years, and I'll tell you. Uh, so this is like promissory materialism. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, you have uh, promissory uh, spiritualism, which is you know uh, the religions. They say if you do all these things, you will reach God. You will go to heaven. And it's always you know everybody is talking about something in the future. Mm-hmm. It is ne- it's never now. It's like you have to do all these things. Be patient, and then you'll get somewhere. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that, that, so that, you know, those are these. These are the two approaches. And there, there has got to be a third approach that says I should be able to figure this out or like do something that gives me some benefit right now. Hmm. Yeah. I, mean, I I do not have to die to reach heaven, or I do not have to die to be enlightened. I sh- I should be able to you know o- uh, avoid suffering like right now. And that is where I think we find the faiths like Buddhism and the Vedanta, Hinduism, come in. What they say is, yeah, you can do that. You know, you don't have to wait for anything. Yeah, my my biggest problem with science, and, and, and again, I'm a scientist. You're a scientist. I'm a chemical engineer, so I'm, yeah. I don't ever put down science. I put yeah. down scientism, you know, or materialism. And my big, you know, you talked about the idea of creation and we're an accident. That's that's one big problem. The biggest problem I have is they don't even know who they are. You know, this guy Daniel Dennett says that consciousness is an illusion, and it's like consciousness is the only thing that's real. The only thing that we absolutely know for sure is that we're conscious. You and I don't even know if we're really sitting in these chairs. We mm-hmm. feel like, we're, but we don't. We don't know that. I just know I'm having the experience of sitting in the chair. That's the only thing I know. And these guys tie themselves up so much in knots mm-hmm. that they, since they can't explain consciousness, they can't tell. They can't say what it is. They can't say where it came from because it makes no sense that as the universe just became more and more complex, it consciously magis- magically appeared. So they say it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. That's got to be the stupidest thing anybody's yes. ever uttered. Yeah. All right. So that's the end of part one. I hope you enjoyed it. Go ahead and watch part two whenever you feel ready to do that. And again, break it up as, as, as many parts as you want to. And thanks for listening. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I want to make it really easy for you to reach me. So just send me a text to 31996 and simply text the word growth. G-R-O-W-T-H. In fact, you can right now just say, hey, Siri, send a message to 31996. And when Siri asks you what you want to send, just say growth. You can do the same thing with OK Google. Thanks a lot. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to Grief to Growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful and will come back for future episodes. Brian's best-selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted Not Buried, is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief or knows someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, there are three things you can do to help. The first is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate, and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron. Head over to www.patreon.com slash grief to growth. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash grief, the number two, growth, and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and grief to growth, visit www.grieftogrowth.com. Hey there, if you like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, 
Come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.